Clear prop. Star 73 is Cherokee, number two, following twin traffic, three mile final. There's something One trailer, Bravo, Rakesford, and runway 25, going uh, four mile final. This is Behind the Prop with United Flight Systems owner and licensed pilot Bobby Doss and his co host, major airline captain and designated pilot examiner Wally Mulhern. Now, let's go Behind the Prop. What's up, Wally? Hey, Bobby, how are you? I'm fantastic, as always, and uh, this is our first time we've ever had to record when we weren't in the same room, a little different. Wally's on a trip. I'm here in Houston. We uh, we needed some content for this Monday's show, and uh, here we are doing our first remote show. It's a little different, but with the technology at our fingertips, it's almost like you're here in the room, Wally. Yeah, it is. You're just not freezing in my first-class chairs on the opposite side of my office. That's correct. That's right. So this week we're talking about every switch and every gauge. We're going to, we think we have enough content to do many of these shows, but the concept behind it is that we really think everybody should really understand really every switch and every gauge in the plane that they're piloting command on. And recently we've had some things pop up at the flight school that I'm going to share and Wally's going to share some stories and experiences that he's had with applicants and students across his career and uh, some of his flight engineer days. So uh, whatever you're, doing now as you're listening sit back and enjoy the show let's start with audio panels wally um that's what's been around happening around the flight school the last few weeks we've had some people that uh thought they lost both radios at the same time when they were out the practice area and somebody thought they lost uh lost the radios when they couldn't hear each other inside the cockpit and i don't think i really understood audio panels and radios at the level that I do today until I own the flight school, of course, but they're pretty complicated. And what I see more than anything now is that the G1000 systems and the audio, uh, the radios inside of 430s and and the like have made people not understand what an older audio panel was doing because we put so much of that audio panel in the automation of those radios that are electronic. Um, the people really just don't know what they're doing. Would you, would you agree with some of that? Yeah, I think, I think audio panels can be very, very complicated. There's, there's a lot of buttons on them. There are a lot of switches on them. Um, and usually we, we use very few of those switches, but there's all kinds of switches that if, uh, you know, if, if they get bumped or somebody flips it, um, it, it could, cause weird things to happen and um you know just just going back to my my airline career starting 34 years ago i started off as a uh, a second officer on a 727 which uh the the faa term was flight engineer and so you sat behind the two pilots and you you managed the systems um, through my career i became a an instructor on that airplane and and eventually uh um, an evaluator where I could actually issue um, flight engineer ratings. And so as part of the evaluation process, you, our second officers um, got an oral, an oral exam, just like on, on any check ride. And basically what that, um, what that oral was, was explaining every switch and every gauge. And, uh, you know, we expected our guys or, or our girls to, to understand what every switch did on, on all the panels in the airplane and what every gauge did. So you flip that switch from the 
on position to the off position? What are you really turning off? Are you closing a valve? Are you opening a valve? Or, you know, what are you doing? And if we take that philosophy to small airplanes, um, uh, you know, that's kind of what we're talking about today. And, and by and large, I think most people understand what most of the switches do. Landing light, you turn it on, well, the landing light comes on. You turn it off, the landing light goes off. Um, but, you know, a lot of these airplanes have other, other switches that, that people may not understand. And uh, we do see a lot of issues with audio panels. I had a, a young man a couple of years ago taxi out on a check ride um and he he could not communicate with atc he was able to talk to ground but when he went to talk to tower uh he couldn't he couldn't get him and uh he realized he, he looked over at me and he said well this is the first time i've been in this particular airplane and i've never seen this audio panel and i'm thinking well why are you taking a check ride right now? Um, he ended up fumbling through it and, and made it work. But, um, uh, you know, I, I, at the end of the day, uh, our, our debriefing had a lot to do with, uh, you know, that was really some poor decision making to get in an airplane. Not, not just because it was a check ride, but anytime to just get in an airplane and go uh, without really understanding how the system worked. And, and that was exactly what it is. He, he did not understand how this audio panel worked. And they're all a little bit different. And most, most flight schools, you know, it, it would be nice to say the flight school has X amount of airplanes and all the equipment is exactly the same. Well, that's not realistic. Uh, everything's going to be just a little bit different in each airplane. And the audio panels are quite different. It might be realistic with a uh, $500 an hour rental rate, but then you wouldn't have any people renting your aircraft. So um, right. it, does, exactly. it does cost money to make stuff uh, max like that. I think, but I do think in an audio panel world, what, what is, what is very easy to do is teach and learn the fundamentals of what the audio panel is doing. And I don't think that happened. It probably happened. I mean, I probably heard the words from my flight instructor say, this is what the auto switch is doing. This is what phone means. This is what speaker means. This is what the this this round dial over here going from COM one to COM two is doing. These things. This switch on this other audio panel is doing these. But it's just you're taking in so much other information about testing the ailerons and checking the trim tab when you're doing the pre-flight that some of that audio stuff just goes away because what's happening in your first five lessons, the flight instructor is doing all the switching and audio work. They're they're doing most of the radios and. By the time it comes time for you to do it, you're probably copying or mimicking what they did, but you wouldn't be able to get it cleaned up if it got really messed up. So we we went through an exercise recently where we we really started talking about the auto switch and that a G1000 kind of has the auto switch built in. It's just it, as you move the radios, it's moving the auto function to your headphones or to the speaker, depending on what you have selected on those, those what lights are on. But in the older audio panel, uh, we have one that has toggle switches. And the, the best definition I've ever heard was yesterday, actually, and said the auto switch is automatically letting you hear what you've chosen to transmit on. And I think that statement alone would solve the problem for most pilots 
to understand how to set up an audio, an audio panel to where they could hear and transmit on something to save themselves if they were in, in a tight situation. So while you're using the audio panel in an aircraft, if it has an auto switch, you want to switch, switch it towards what you want to hear out of. So in this plane, it particularly had a speaker. The top line was speakers and the bottom line was phone, which is your headphones. And if you had it on, you know, COM1 transmit and the auto button on phone, then you're going to automatically hear what you wanted to transmit on, which is COM1. And so you would hear and be able to speak on both COM1. In today's nicer, newer radios, that's just pushing COM1 mic. And you know you're talking and listening on both. But that's kind of happening behind the scenes in that audio panel. Um, if I wanted to then listen to COM2, all I would have to do is on the COM2 switch is push it down to the phone and I would hear COM2 in my headset, but I would still be transmitting on COM1 and listening to COM1. And I think that fundamental basic principle is very helpful. Uh, the next level up, I think probably what most of us trained on was a, more of a push button audio panel. And we have a few of those in our aircraft and it's the same same concept, but the COM is more of a turn knob and you select COM1 or you select COM2, that's what you want to transmit on. And if you push the auto button on the bottom side, which is the phones, the phone button, uh, then you're automatically going to receive what you chose to transmit on, which would be either COM1 or COM2. Um, and I think if you knew those things, you would go a long way. The, the next piece that I think is part of the audio panel, but not regularly talked about, is the intercom. Wally, what was, what was it like on your first flight that you had? Uh, what was the intercom like in that aircraft of your first flight? Uh, my first flight was in a Piper Tomahawk, and uh, there was no um, intercom. There was no audio panel because there was just one radio. There was one NAVCOM, and uh, that's all we had. We had a hand mic. We didn't use headsets. We talked to each other. And um, uh, we, we screamed at each other almost. I was going to say, so, a, C, a CFI yeah. would be very hoarse at the end of the day like that. Yeah, yeah. But that's the way it was. That's the way it was. There was, there was no intercom. Um, you know, all my CFI time happened uh, 1983, 87 in, in that time frame. And somewhere between then and... Now, uh, all the airplanes got intercom systems. I don't think I have ever given, well, I know I have not given a check ride in an airplane that didn't have an intercom system. So uh, it's, it's come to be expected um, in airplanes that, 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 that there's an intercom system. And, um, you know, it makes things much better. But know that that intercom system is electrically powered. So if you're in a situation where, you know, if you lose the electrical system, you're going to lose the intercom. And uh, it's a little bit of a rude awakening as to what the, uh, uh, the noise level is in the airplane without the headsets on. So I think, uh, and I, I say this to CFIs, and, and all, they always look at me and say, yeah, that's a really good idea. I'm not quite sure any of them really do it, but I think it's a really good idea to say, hey, you know what, on today's flight, we're not going to use 
the headsets. We're going to use the hand mic. We're going to use the speaker. And we're going to go out and we're going to go fly this flight um, that way. Now, if you were to have an electrical system failure, you could still use the headset and you could use the push to talk. You just wouldn't be able to hear the other person through the headset. So if you have a noise canceling headset, maybe the thing to do would take the inboard earpiece and, and move it away from your ear. So your ear is now exposed to, to the other person and, uh, and you could communicate that way. But, um, uh, you know, how many airplanes have a hand mic? Uh, and is it plugged in to the, the mic jack? And if it's not, where is it? Is, is it in one of the seat back pockets? Um, so, uh, you know, things to think about, very remote. I can't ever think of a time where we lost the intercom system. Well, I, I, I can't think of one where it was a total electrical failure. And uh, we all just took off the headsets and communicated that way. Uh, but, um, you know, we have gotten spoiled with it. Yeah, and I think that uh, some don't know how that works either, right? So we've, we've had people that have turned the volume down on the intercom. They're not always part of the audio panel. Sometimes the intercom in these older aircraft is, are separate. And so the intercom has got its own squelch, its own off, on-off switch, its own volume. And if I turn the intercom all the way to zero, the volume all the way down, then it seems like I've lost some radio communications. It seems like I've yes. lost something. And if I don't realize there's a separate system that's allowing inner cockpit conversations called an intercom, then I may not know it. And if I, if I do know how to use the audio panel, I turn the switches to hear what's happening in the cockpit on the, on the uh, speaker, and the volume's all the way down, I'm still not going to hear anything and I will think I have lost something. Um, and so you need to understand where that volume's, which is a volume knob is if there is such a thing, the on off and uh, the squelch could become important too because you could literally squelch out the conversation that you're having as well if you made the range so broad that it wasn't even letting you, letting the squelch, squelching all of the audio conversation between the two of you as well as possibility. So um, yeah seek to understand those items and seek to understand what those knobs and switches really, really do and know what the audio panel is managing, whether it's managing both the intercom and both comm radios, and then uh, do some testing, ask your CFI to help you mess it up one time and have you challenged, be challenged to, to talk on comm two and listen to both comm one and two through the speaker. And if they did that, you would probably uh, really, and you were able to get it to that point, you'd probably be pretty good with audio panels on the intercom. And, and here's another, there? yeah, here's another thought. If, if you get in an airplane, um, you know, we're talking about rental airplanes, flight school airplanes. If you get in an, in an airplane and the, the, the volume level is way out of, at, way out of kilter, check your stuff first. In other words, check the volume on your headset first before you start going and messing with the audio panel or the volume on the radio because probably the person who brought it in had it set at a reasonable level okay so if 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 you get in and all of a sudden you can't hear everybody uh it might be your equipment so so make sure your headset volume is up before you just reach up and turn the volume up on the uh, the number one comm 
um, because I can't tell you how many times I get in for a check ride and the applicant immediately does that. And then they're, they're blowing me out. So now I'm having to adjust things. And, and, uh, then they realized it was in fact, uh, just the volume on their, their headset that was turned down, or maybe their headset isn't even plugged in properly. Yeah, that's a good point. Even on a headset, uh, we are a David Clark dealer, uh, here at the flight school and the, uh, we sell a lot of David Clark headsets and, uh, what student came back after the first use with their headset Wally and the right cup was not working. And, uh, of course, this has happened here hundreds of times. So we've sold headsets and they say the right cup's not working. Um, a lot of headphones, a lot of headsets have volume controls on both heads if they're not noise canceling. Um, they, they might have a dial on both ears. They might have one dial on the left side that manages both ears. Uh, but, it, but most of these older aircraft have a mono audio system in them. It's not in stereo. And a lot of the newer headsets come in stereo. And there's a stereo switch on most David Clark headsets that have put them in stereo mode. And if the headset's in stereo mode, it's a mono, head, a mono audio system, you're only gonna hear things out of one ear, ear pocket or ear cup. And uh, normally you have to switch the switch from stereo to mono on the headset. Um, but here they thought the headset was broke, the plane's broke, nothing's working right. And it was uh, knowing a switch that while not on the aircraft, but it was in the aircraft would have changed their experience. So they flew around for two hours with one cup working, thinking they bought a broken headset and that the plane was broken. And it was just not being familiar with the system or the, the switches on their headset. So something to think about there for sure as well. Yeah, that's a good thought. So uh, another thing that another set of dials or switches that I don't think people fully understand uh, is Hobbs meters and tachometers in the aircraft and they never seem to match. And I can remember my CFI saying, this one's the one you're going to pay for. And this one doesn't really matter because you're not paying for it. As a flight school owner, I think one of those dials makes me money and the other one costs me a lot of money. Um, that's the way I think of the tachometer and the Hobbs meter, but uh, they're pretty, pretty basic systems that I just don't think pilots are truly educated on why they're different and what they're doing. Uh, we joked before we started recording that almost every time you fly your aircraft, it's a, if it's a 1.0 flight, the tack time is, or sorry, if it's a 1.3 uh, hour flight on the Hobbs meter, it's a 1.0 tachometer flight. And it holds true here year after year that about, you know, if we flew a million hours, it would be a million 300,000 hours on the Hobbs and it would be a million hours on the tachometer. It's almost always 1.3 over a long period of time. And that's because Hobbs meter is a clock. It literally clicks um, every six minutes uh, that, it's, that it's engaged. And it can be engaged many different ways. It's an electronic clock, but the, the pressure, there, there's a switch that can be tied to the master switch. It can be tied to the oil pressure gauge. Lots of different places it can be tied to. Um, most flight schools probably have it on the master switch. Um, and, and so it, it's starting the second you flip the master switch on. And then the tachometer uh, has a full hour of revolutions or a 1.0 full turn if it was running at 2300 RPMs for a full hour. Uh, that's what most these single engine piston aircraft are. I'm sure there's other things that have different... Uh, different cycles than 2300, but most planes, 
if they they're not operating at 2300 the whole time that's why a tachometer doesn't turn a full hour per se compared to a clock that runs a full hour um, so we're always going to be a little shy of that uh, one hour flight will be a little less if we fly 1.3 again the tachometer will be a full revolution or a full one hour um, and people don't understand that so it's interesting to, to try and teach that or let people understand what that's about because they, there are very important things that happen. You know, maintenance does not happen on the Hobbs meter, it happens on the tachometer. So 50 hour, uh, a 50 hour oil change and inspection by the mechanic is based on tack time. And so a plane might fly 130 hours between every 100 hour inspection. And I don't think people understand that or know that. Um, but it is important. It's, it's the only reason the math works to, to squeeze a few pennies out of this business uh, when, we're, when we're charging by the hour on a clock versus the hour on the tachometer. And when we lose a Hobbs meter, we're very open and tell everybody we charge by the tachometer, but we charge 1.3, you know, the hour of tack time. So um, the math holds true and it's the best way to do it for both customer and black school. You just say your personal plane has a Hobbs meter on it, right? You don't charge it people to, to use it, but your your daughters teach out of it, or your one daughter taught out of it for quite a while. So um, I'm sure that helps keep the clock while also keeping your maintenance up, but at the stuff as well. Yeah, absolutely. An interesting fact that came up more as a question recently um, in our twin that you have. Uh, both met applicants in and, and flown yourself on occasion. There's a bunch of switches in that plane that look, I mean, they look just like switches, uh, but they're not switches in that aircraft. They have a number. Someone walked in and said, what is this number? Um, they were just looking at the aircraft and they said, what is, it says 20. It's got 20 stamped on it. What does that 20 mean? And uh, all Beechcraft, it's a travel air, all Beechcraft switches are really circuit breaker switches. And I, I find it shocking that some pilots don't know that those are circuit breakers. Um, and that could become a very dangerous situation, right? I uh, have heard stories where people have seen a switch not stay switched, so they just held it up. That would be the equivalent of holding a circuit breaker in, uh, which is not something we would all, if, you, if you, you ever think about doing that, don't do that. That is not the best practice for sure, because you're literally holding a circuit breaker that has got... A, a, too much of a load on it and you're holding yeah. it closed right yeah th think of a circuit breaker almost as a, a fire alarm if you're in your house and a fire alarm starts going off um i'd like to think your first reaction would be to get out of the house not to go turn the fire alarm off and you know if a circuit breaker trips yeah yeah if a circuit breaker trips, uh, there's something going on with the system. Now, it could be a faulty circuit breaker. Absolutely could be. Or it could be a transient spike or something, and it could end up being maybe not a big deal. But it's, it's definitely something you really want to think about before you just reset that. What would be your personal rule? If you were in your Saratoga flying to Louisiana for a trip while in the uh, – I don't know, the COM1 circuit breaker popped, would you reset it? Uh, I probably wouldn't. I have a COM2, so I would just probably go to COM2 and get the, get the airplane on the ground. And, and uh, I'd probably reset it on the ground, see what happens. 
Um, but I would do, I would have an out plan for sure. Let's say, uh, you're taking off and you're at a thousand feet you haven't turned your landing light off yet or your taxi light off yet. And the, one of those popped and turn the light off. Would you reset that one? Um, probably not. Yeah. So, I mean, this professional pilot saying, yeah, if I could live without it, there's probably no reason even to reset it. I hear a lot of pilots say their rule is reset it once, but don't ever reset it twice. Right. Um, I've heard people talk about if it's, if it involves anything related to the fuel, don't reset it. But I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards Wally that I, I don't think I would reset anything that wasn't absolutely necessary. If I lost both radios, I might try to reset one of the radios, but um, I could live without the radios too. And about 80% of my flying, if I have a cell phone and can talk to the tower. But again, I think, uh, that electrical stuff, you need to know what those switches and buttons are doing and you need to know what your thresholds are for flipping or resetting or switching them back on uh, if you have some sort of an issue. And if they're stamped with a number, I can assure you they're not just a switch. They are a circuit breaker switch and they're designed to be the break between whatever the equipment is you're switching on or off in the electrical system. And, and that number is the amperage that that particular component is drawing. So uh, if you see a big number, 2025, 20, it's a high draw item. Uh, you know, your, your turn coordinator may have a two on it. It's drawing two amps. It's not a very high draw item. So you can, you can look down there and, uh, you know, if, if you're ever in a situation where you're trying to conserve battery power, you can look down there. And it will tell you which which components are drawing the most electricity just by looking at the number on the circuit breakers. Something that came up recently, uh, which is actually a switch or a gauge or something you can't see. And we talked about it a little bit before we started recording is something called a blind encoder. Um, and it's something that I don't think a lot of people understand. And I don't think I understood it well at all until the last 60 days or so. But a blind encoder is something that goes up underneath the cockpit uh, panel. And it is a small little box, probably the size of maybe two or three cell phones stacked on top of each other, but it's just an aluminum box. And it's got a port where it ties into the static pressure system outside the aircraft. And it's got an electrical plug and it connects to a transponder. Uh, it connects to your transponder in your aircraft. If you have a transponder that is reporting altitude, I'm going to bet that you have a blind encoder or an encoder, altitude encoder, inside your airplane. But they, the, the phrase blind comes from it because no one can see it. It's hidden. And uh, your mechanic or people that work on your aircraft have just attached it somewhere up inside of your cockpit. And it is really reporting. Uh, it's getting the static pressure, and it's reporting pressure altitude uh, as it relates to wherever you're at in the sky. And then your transponder is using that signal to report the altitude to ATC if it's got altitude reporting capabilities. And uh, we had an aircraft recently that was reporting some erroneous numbers on a flight. And uh, the avionics shop said, you, you're probably got a blind encoder that's gone bad, which is where I learned, what's how I learned everything. Well, yeah, I break apart and I got to go replace it. Um, and it's not that in the world of aviation, it's not an expensive part and uh, not too hard for an avionics person or a mechanic to put, put replace it. And that transponders worked fine ever since. So 
you know, transponders are expensive and the blind encoder wasn't. So it's a piece of equipment that if, if ATC says that, um, and you ha you are flying a rental aircraft of some sort, you should squawk the ATC reported that you had a, a altitude that was incorrect. Um, cause that's what you really did observe, but I'm pretty sure that your, your flight school or your rental would, uh, probably tell their mechanic and they would replace the blind encoder. So little piece of systems that you guys and girls probably aren't aware of that's up underneath that cockpit. What about fuel gauges, Wally? We, do we all understand how fuel gauges work? And are there different types of fuel gauges? I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. Many different types, but let's take a yeah. classic 172 or warrior that's sitting in a flight school. Is that, is that fuel gauge electronic? Well, you know, one, if anybody's listened to the po podcast, everybody, I think, understands that electrical system failures are something that's near and dear to my heart. And uh, I, I think it's important to uh, discuss procedures and, and what's going on with an electrical system failure. Um, and typically on a, a, a check ride, we'll talk about this and I, I'll ask the applicant, I'll say, okay, if we had a total electrical system failure, in other words, the battery is dead what are we going to lose? And, and, you know, they'll, they'll go through everything and, and uh, uh, you know, they'll, they'll say, well, I'm going to lose our, all our avionics. And then they usually start going through a com one, com two, nab one, all the, all that, that that's all true. They'll say, we're going to lose our lights um, in a standard six pack airplane. We're going to lose a turn coordinator in all likelihood. Um, and, uh, you know, if it's a Cessna, they're going to lose the ability to move flaps. Um, usually way down on the bottom, and I'll say, okay, keep going, keep going. And this is when the answers start getting slower and slower. Um, I think everybody understands that the fuel gauges are electrical, but they very seldom give me this answer. And when I talk to them, I say, okay, let's, let's talk about your pre-flight. When you go out to pre-flight an airplane, what do you do? Walk me through a pre-flight. And they'll say, well, I go in and I, I turn the master switch on and I check the fuel quantity. Okay. okay. Well, what does that tell you? And they go, oh yeah, yeah. Well, that tells me that the fuel gauges are, are electrical. So, uh, in most of our airplanes, the fuel gauges are electrical. You may have an old Piper Cub type airplane that just has a little float thing um, that, that is not electrical. And the reason being, when that airplane was built, it didn't even have an electrical system. So it's just a very, uh, very primitive way of, of measuring the fuel in the tank. But by and large, uh, our, our fuel gauges are electrical uh, with electrical system failure. Um, they are gonna go to zero. And, um, you know, another reason why to manage our fuel and understand where we are, and especially in an airplane where you're having to switch tanks, uh, a Piper or a Beechcraft, where you're going from left to right, where you don't, you don't have a both position, um, good idea to, you know, really keep track of your fuel and have an, an accurate fuel lock. So you know how much fuel is in that tank. So in, in the outside chance where you did have an electrical system failure, but you still had to continue for an extended period of time. You don't, you, you definitely want to know where that fuel is. Well, yeah, listeners know you have this uh, thing for electronic failures. 
electrical failures, but fuel is pretty important too, right, Wally? Fuel is very important. We can fly without electricity, but we cannot fly without fuel. Not yet, but maybe one day. I think we'll, right. uh, we've right. been asked to do a show on electric aircraft, and we are working on some research on that now. We, we might do that show soon. Um, and a way to really, to really understand that better, I think, is to sit in the aircraft when it's turned completely off and look at everything that's not working. And then with your CFI, if you're a student pilot for sure, start the aircraft, uh, maybe on the ramp that you have it on when you first get in it, and just turn the master switch and alternator off. And, and you can sit there while the aircraft's running and see what you're going to lose. You'll notice that some of your instruments are gonna continue to work. Those probably don't run on electricity. And then a lot of things like fuel gauges are gonna go to zero. And you can note that those things run on electricity. So um, a, good way to, a good way to really see what you're gonna lose in a full electrical failure is to sit there with the aircraft running and turn that master switch off and turn that alternator if it's got two rocker switches and see what happens. It's not, yeah. it's going to surprise you a little bit how much you do lose and you, you would like to be prepared if it's going to happen in the air for sure. Right. Right. Other dials, switches and things we can talk about and we will get to those in the future. If you're listening to the show and you think we're doing a good job and you think that, uh, We've earned it. Please give us five stars wherever you listen to podcasts and write a short review and share the show with a friend. Until next week, fly safe and stay behind the prop. Thanks for checking out the Behind the Prop podcast. Be sure to click subscribe and check us out online at BehindTheProp.com. Behind the Prop is recorded in Houston, Texas. Creator and host is Bobby Doss. Co-host is Wally Mulhern. The show is for entertainment purposes only and is not meant to replace actual flight instruction. Thanks for listening and remember, fly safe. Fly safe.